Rage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we're going to talk a little bit about social media and why it's so important for musicians to have good social media. Yes, we are modern classical musicians and whether you like social media or not, it is very important to what we do. So honestly, it's just best to get on board. So you might be wondering, well, why is social media so important? One of the biggest reasons that we use social media is to increase our visibility. We can use this by posting different content, keeping people up to date on what we're doing, sharing different events, you know, selling tickets, yada, yada, yada. But basically, we can use social media as a point of interest and to put out so that other people are always seeing our content and engaging with us. We can also kind of think of our social media platforms as a landing page. It would be kind of ridiculous to constantly be updating your professional website. So our social media kind of acts as a supplement to it. So whereas you might be updating your website every couple weeks or once a month, you can constantly be putting out stuff on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter to kind of keep your your audience base engaged. I've also known quite a few singers and musicians who have actually been contacted about doing gigs because of the stuff that they've posted on social media. I know a tenor who filmed himself hitting some really high notes that ended up being reached out to by a an opera company that was looking to fill a role and so he got an audition that way and you just never know who's looking at your stuff and a lot of these big opera companies and smaller opera companies and recital halls have Instagram accounts and are looking and engaging with other people's content. So you might be able to use your social media in a very wise and lucrative way to get those gigs. Companies are also really looking to collaborate. We've all been in an opera company or with an opera company or in a production where they have Instagram takeovers or they feature different alumni from their different programs. So just having a very clean, well thought out social media presence can really only help you, um, especially if you do it well and really put the time and effort into create it your own. So I just think that social media has so many positive things to it that it's best to just get on board and start building your brand. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good overview of the importance of social media. And I think this is something that goes criminally under-discussed in schools because it is a huge part of running your career like a business. And I'm a person who very much does not necessarily enjoy social media. I've kind of gotten more into it now that we run the podcast, but... I understand people's hesitance to change over their media to be more professional, but I think, I don't think it's optional. If you really want to take your career seriously, I think you have to be engaging on social media and there are ways to do it without feeling awkward. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you look at big opera stars or really anybody in any field that has some, some status to them. They have PR teams, they have marketing teams, big brands obviously have huge amounts of people that are dedicated to this type of stuff, but we as young musicians, we are (laughs) that entire team for ourselves, you know, especially as freelancers, we are our own PR managers, we are our own marketers, and so kind of thinking about it that way puts it in perspective, it really is a tool to you as a brand and as a musician. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we're going to be talking about is how to have an authentic social media presence so that you don't feel like you're just marketing yourself so that it maintains your personality in all of it. Absolutely. And to get us started off, we're going to go to what I kind of think is one of the most important forms of social media right now, which is Instagram. However, Instagram is not really my forte, so I'm going to be asking Michelle some important questions that have been on my mind about running a good Instagram. I think Instagram is important because it has a lot of tools for people to use and understand how effective or ineffective their social media is, and I think those tools are pretty easy to read, though learning how to use them most effectively will take some time. I don't think most of the other services are as intuitive in terms of understanding the information you're getting. And you can get those by changing your Instagram account over to a professional account. All right. So my first question for you is how personal do we get with our Instagram photos? A lot of people have beach pictures in bathing suits and obviously pictures of like cats and food. And like, what is 
what's too personal for a professional account? Yeah, I think everybody has their own unique tastes and their own, you know, ideas about what they feel comfortable sharing. And I definitely think that you should listen to those. I think sometimes we have the notion that, oh, I'm switching over to a professional account. Now I can't post pictures of my dog or like I can't share what I cooked this week or it only has to be me and my music and my brand. And I don't necessarily think that's true at all. I think that you can continue to post what you love because ultimately your social media should be an accurate representation of you and your interests and your many talents. So I don't think that posting certain pictures is is taboo, but obviously you want everything to be within moderation. So if you take a really cute picture at the beach or you have a really cute picture of your dog and you really want to post them, I'm not going to tell you you can't. You absolutely can. But you definitely don't want it to be the majority of your account. Really kind of using those as little sprinkles to maybe more professional material is always a safe way to go. I'd actually say that the thing that stands out the most to me when I'm scrolling through Instagram is just poor quality photos. That's the only thing that really bothers me. I would agree. Stop taking photos in the dark with flash. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much to learn. That could be a a whole episode in and of itself of how to take good (laughs) photos and how to edit them. But Michelle rants about photography. (laughs) I have many thoughts. But um, yeah, I would also say that, you know, kind of tune in to the the quality of what you're posting. Once again, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't post. But, you know, there are always photos that we have on our camera rolls where it's like, oh, I really like this photo, but maybe it's really grainy or maybe it's slightly blurry. Just really consider whether or not it has to go on your professional account. And I would say this all kind of ties into the idea of building a brand aesthetic. Usually what this boils down to is trying to either keep like consistent color schemes throughout your whole feed which is hard to do okay but this is what we see when we look at influencers or at you know top level social media accounts they're always taking this into consideration and I'm not saying that you have to only ever use one filter or only take pictures with certain kind of colors or whatever but kind of just keeping that in mind often you know, allows you to have a more consistent feed, which is something that your new followers and people who don't know you and are seeing your account for the first time will take notice of. Um, When you come across a feed that does look very organized and well thought out, you're much more likely to hit follow and engage with that content than one that is just very all over the place. So that's just something to keep in mind. Having an aesthetic also just speeds everything up because it makes your editing quicker Uh, It makes your captioning quicker. Knowing what kind of atmosphere you're going for simplifies your options by saying like, well, I'm going to basically be using one of these five colors or one of these three fonts or one of these. It it really cuts down on that editing time. So an aesthetic is not just a design choice. It is also a choice of efficiency so that you're not reinventing the wheel every time you want to put something out there. Absolutely, yeah. And you can tie this into your professional website. If you already have a website up that you love, you know, just think about, does the content that I'm putting out on social media match my website? If it doesn't, then that's not bad, but think about why that is or how you can make it a little bit more uniform. Definitely creating a style, like Jesse said, is effective. It cuts down time and it also just looks very nice. It looks more professional. So building an aesthetic, choosing colors and fonts that really represent you as a person is a lot of fun and are very effective design elements. Okay, so next question. How do you caption your photos and how do you hashtag effectively? Hashtags are some of the most important tools, if not the most important tool for social media that I feel like very few people actually know what to do with them. They're very tricky <laughs> and they're very they're very time consuming, but we'll, we'll jump into that. Before we get to the hashtags, captions, I will say that longer captions have been very trendy at the end of 2019 and going into 2020. A couple years ago, like in 2017, 2018, those kind of like one word captions or like a phrase or a quote were super popular and we kind of have moved away from those. And I think the reason that we've moved to longer captions is really beautiful because you see a lot of people are sharing longer captions because they're 
being more authentic and actually sharing things about them and about the things that they're going through, which I think is so awesome. I always feel like if you're going to post something, you really need to figure out why you're posting it. If you're posting a picture of your practice, you know, take an opportunity to let people see a little glimpse behind the screen. So longer captions in general, rather than a quote you found on Pinterest. I agree with you. And I think just have fun with your captions. Don't worry about them being inspiring or anything else. You can make people laugh. You can you can be more serious, but don't sweat the caption too much. It's not as, as dire a situation. I think writing captions is actually one of the most anxiety-inducing things for me with media, but I usually go silly with mine because I'd rather make people laugh. Yeah. Nobody's expecting you to write an award-winning novel for your caption the next great american caption exactly yeah so have fun with it don't you don't have to be serious unless unless you want to be so hashtags like i said i feel like very few people actually know how to use hashtags correctly and that's because they're just so darn finicky ultimately the reason that we use hashtags is because it all comes down to searchability Hashtags obviously flag and tag your account on different hashtag pages, which you can follow on things like Instagram. And so basically, if you use hashtags effectively, you're going to be popping up on these different pages, which increases your chances of being viewed by accounts that don't already follow you. And a little stat from Later, which is a company that posts a lot about all of the current trends on all social media platforms definitely suggest that you go and check out their website. They say that a post with at least one Instagram hashtag averages 12.6% more engagement than posts without a hashtag. Basically, if you're not hashtagging your material, it's not going out to people that are not already following you. And ultimately, you want new people to be coming in and engaging with your content, right? When we put out videos of us singing or us doing something, we want people to see. We want to ultimately reach those young artist programs, those various small companies, those various people who are looking to hire somebody for a gig. So if you're not hashtagging, you're not helping yourself. So how much time as a social media manager do you actually spend on these hashtags? Like, do you look, do you tend to actually look through some of the hashtags you submit to? to get ideas for content do because I actually don't spend very much time at all browsing hashtags which is why I personally am unlikely to hashtag things even though I should be but yeah I was just curious how much time do you actually spend looking through any of those I actually spend quite a bit of time looking through them they're really wonderful hashtags it's your job (laughs) thank you (laughs) um yeah I mean there are key hashtags for us as classical musicians and I'll get into those in a second but I would definitely suggest spending time looking through hashtags. Like you mentioned, it's a great way to kind of come up with with content ideas. Um, For example, uh, the hashtag opera singers of Instagram. I love following that because, you know, popular posts from that page pop up because I follow that hashtag, which if you didn't know, you can actually follow hashtags, which is really cool. That's something that Instagram introduced this past year. But it is a really good way to kind of look and see what are other people posting? What are some other kind of like campaigns and things that people are running? And that can be a really good tool to kind of think about what you can do with your social media presence. So yeah, I would definitely spend a good amount of time doing that. And since hashtags are used with the intent to discover content, using the right hashtags is really the most important thing. That's what's going to put you in front of your target audience, especially if they haven't connected with you before. So currently, Instagram has a limit of 30 hashtags. Within the social media community, there are different trains of thought. Some people think that you should use all 30. Some people think that they look a little spammy, so they suggest between 5 and 10. I would say when you're starting out, I would do all 30. And the way that we find relevant hashtags is we want to avoid those top tier popular hashtags. And you'll know that when you go to hashtag something like hashtag music, yeah, hashtag music or like hashtag love, you'll see that these hashtags have like a gazillion posts on them. I want to I, I wanna look up how many things are under hashtag music. Yeah. Hashtag music is my passion. Exactly. And you'll see that these things have millions and millions and millions of posts associated with them. Oh, yeah. Hashtag music has 304 million posts. Exactly. The thing to think about with hashtags is on Instagram specifically, they have hashtag pages, right? And now you can switch between 
the top posts and recent posts. So basically, if you create some really kicking content and you use a good hashtag, like let's say opera singers of Instagram, and you end up on that top category, you're going to be viewed by a lot of people who are following that hashtag, who happen to look up that hashtag. It really boosts your engagement. Ultimately, using hashtags to end up on that top page for that hashtag, or even more ideally, the top pages of several good hashtags, is what really boosts you out to be viewed by other people. So you might be wondering, well, how do I end up on the top page of a hashtag that is really good for my brand? Basically, Instagram awards posts and content that get engagement quickly, soon after posting their algorithm automatically flags it as something that people want to see. Trying to get that engagement quickly translates to posting at good times, which we'll get into in a little bit, but um, also making sure that your, you know, picture is aesthetic and looks good, that everything's in order, that you're using hashtags. So that's just something to think about. And you always do. I don't know how many of you have looked in depth at our Instagram Michelle does the caption and then she does another comment that is all of the hashtags. It keeps the hashtags from getting in the way of the actual content of the post while still putting them into the algorithm so that people can find them. Yeah, there are a bunch of different ways that you can do hashtags. What I would suggest is if you don't already, then creating hashtag lists are like my lifesaver. For Opera Offstage, for example, I have like six lists of six different groups of hashtags that I use for certain types of content. The way that you can find hashtags that will actually work for you, right? Not something like hashtag music where you are definitely going to get lost on that page is looking for things that we call community hashtags. Highly saturated hashtags are not really going to help you. So we're looking for things that are more niche, that are going to connect like-minded users around a more specific subject. So something like opera singers of Instagram, musicians of Instagram, singers of Instagram are really good if you are a singer. Something like classical musician is good if you play an instrument doing something like that also daily hashtags so like monday motivation tuesday tips blah 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 blah, are really good because they're more niche just think about making what you're doing or what's relevant to your post a little bit more specific and of course as you build these hashtag lists when you type in a comment hashtag whatever you will see how many people, how many posts are associated with that hashtag. And I would say generally we want to keep that to under a million posts. That way you have a better chance of actually showing up on those top pages for that hashtag. So everything's better. But creating these hashtag lists. So for example, if I have a new episode going out, the hashtags that I use for that type of post are different from something that's like our women's month posts, right? They are two different hashtag lists. And I know that it takes time to build these hashtag lists. You know, maybe one day you go sit down at a coffee shop or something and just do some research. But once you have that done, it makes it so easy. You don't have to think about hashtags and you can go a couple months without having to worry it about it before researching again and seeing, okay, are these hashtags still relevant to where I'm at? Are there new hashtags that I've been seeing other users in my field or people who are maybe more professional than me are using? Do some research, steal some hashtags from some people who are maybe like a couple steps further in their career than you and see what's working. Hashtags are so important. So take the time to really learn how to use them because that's really the make or break for your social media searchability. They're not actually as important on YouTube, but I do still actually have a, a list set aside when I upload our videos to YouTube to save me the 15 minutes of doing all the base hashtags that I do for YouTube. Yeah. It really is a, a time saver if you just go ahead and create some lists. For YouTube, I actually just have a base list and then I add on from there for whatever the episode is specifically about. Now, this is just a, a, a quick question for you because I think of Instagram obviously as primarily a photo sharing app because that for many years was the only thing it could do. But now obviously we have video capabilities and we make video content for our Instagram. How how effective is actually sharing video content on Instagram? Video content truly is king across all social media. See, I find that so funny because I 
don't tend to watch videos anywhere but YouTube. Yeah. No, and... And maybe on Facebook. I really don't think of Instagram as a video app. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Instagram videos actually receive twice the engagement of the standard photo post. And we don't necessarily think of Instagram in the same light in terms of video content as obviously YouTube, which is only video content or Facebook, which is maybe 50% video content. But Instagram has been making moves this past year with the rollout of IGTV and stories. Instagram as a company is really trying to compete with things like YouTube. Videos on Instagram, especially like on IGTV, are like magnets for these top pages. You know, when you go to the explore page. That's wild. Yeah, you see a mashup of all of these videos. You see a lot of like beauty videos and you kind of have a things tailored to you. IGTV is a huge tool that's really only starting to be utilized this past year with its rollout, but it is super effective. It's just, it's one of those things that is just so easy to pop up all over the place. So it's definitely a good tool especially with us as musicians putting out your videos of you singing especially if you use those hashtags oh my gosh you can get thousands of views on Instagram it's like in a day you know whereas it's sometimes harder to build that same type of visibility on YouTube video content on all platforms is great so now let's get a little more into the nitty-gritty of all this how often and like when should you be posting on Instagram I would always say that quality over quantity is king. There are thoughts in every possible camp about how often to post. A lot of people find it very effective to post once a day. A lot of people find it really effective to post once a week. Kind of depends on your audience. Exactly. Yeah, it totally depends on your audience. But what I will say is that regardless of your posting schedule, it is important to remain engaging and engaging with other people on Instagram. So even on days that you're not posting, you should be actively going through and engaging with other people, other accounts, leaving comments, because that ultimately boosts you and you boost your friends and other people's content, which is always a plus. As broad guidelines, posting in the morning or posting in the evening is usually the best. The weekends are very hit or miss. People are usually out or posting, but not necessarily scrolling like they are during the work week. Well, joke's on everyone because we're all stuck at home and we're all scrolling right now. <laughs> True. Right now is a little bit of an interesting time, but broadly speaking, morning or evening tend to be the best. But yeah, also using your analytics. So if you convert to a professional account on Instagram, then you have a whole little toolbox introduced to you that regular users do not. I recently did it. It won't change your account drastically. It really just gives you access to tools to understand how people are interacting with the content you're putting up. And you can't change your account to private while it's under a business account. That's basically the main differences. And it'll ask you to choose kind of what category you fit into. There are a couple different ways you could list yourself in terms of being a musician, artist, performer. I made mine into a joke. If you go on my Instagram, I am currently listed as a public swimming pool but you can list it under anything or you can decide not to list yourself in a category and still have the tools. So it's up to you. However, it's really good to get access to those tools. But I wanted to ask you, Michelle, because I have only just recently switched it over. What should you be looking for when you're analyzing the data given out by these tools? Yes. So just to really hammer it in, there's really no reason if you're going to be treating your Instagram professionally to not be a business account, in my opinion, because of those analytics. Basically, when we're looking at this, we can kind of think of like monitoring our social media, like the way that we would monitor like a bank account or something like that. We want to know who's following us, who's engaging with us, how many people are visiting our page. Are we losing a lot of followers and not gaining new ones? Are we just on the rise and gaining a lot of new followers? You kind of want to look through it like that. And the really neat thing about when you're on an Instagram professional account is when you go to your insights, they break it down for you so easily. This is the one thing that I love about Instagram, and it's it's so easy to read their analytics. So they 
have content for you so you can see what you've recently published. And then you can go over to an activity page. They break it down into reach. Reach uh, is a word for unique accounts that have either viewed your profile or viewed your content. And you can also look at something that they call impressions. This is just the amount of times your content as a whole has been viewed. They take into account unique accounts and people looking at your stuff more than once. And that you can use as a really good gauge of what kind of content that you're posting that people are really wanting to engage with, what content is doing well that people are interested in, what content's not doing well. And you can use all of this information to kind of shape what you put out there. It gives you a lot of feedback that way. It also gives you information about your audience. It tells you locations that they're based in, which can be really helpful in figuring out those posting times. I personally have a lot of people in LA and Boston. So when I post on my personal account, I have to take that into account of who am I trying to reach today? What time am I posting to reach those locations? And then it also gives you a really nice breakdown of when your followers are active. Now, if you wanna know when to post, this is a great little tool to check in with. They have your most popular days and all of this is catered to you and your followers specifically. So you really can't get a better tool than that. So it shows you which days are ideal and it even breaks it down into which hours are ideal. Now, checking in with this is not a hard, fast rule. Sometimes you will post on what is your you know, ideal time and day and you still might have a post not really due as well as you would hope. It's just something to check in with, but basically I usually sit down once a week or once every other week and just kind of check in to see what am I putting out there that's doing well how can I create more of that content or something similar? And what am I creating that is, you know, not doing well? What do I need to avoid? What are things that are not resonating with people? And then I use that to shape future content. And then I just wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about Linktree. This is something we have on our account, but I just wanted you to talk about it as a tool. Yeah. So Linktree is basically a service that allows you to expand the limit that Instagram has for your bio of only one URL link. And the reason that things like this exist is because one link is usually not enough. Usually we're sending people to our website. We're sending them to our Facebook page. We might be sending them to our YouTube that has more recordings of us singing. So usually we need more than one link. And things like Linktree, obviously there are many other platforms that do services like this as well, namely Link in Bio by Later, which I mentioned earlier. But the reason I like Linktree and that we use it and I use it is because it's super easy to use. It's free. And if you go to their pro membership, it's like $6. So it's like super cheap. But you can basically just customize how it looks and include as many links as you want, which is awesome. For our Opera Off stage, we link them to all of our platforms. Using something like that to replace maybe like just your website in your bio is really nice. And you can post that on places like Facebook as well. You can post it on your website as well. So things like that are really nice and good to think about because... It really is a landing page to send your followers out to the other areas of your social media. Well, and that's a, a good point of just a general social media practice, which is you want to get people from point A to point B in as few clicks as possible. Exactly. Instagram is owned by Facebook, which I find really interesting because I do not consider Facebook to be the main social media that most people are using nowadays. I personally don't even have a professional Facebook page right now. My bad. But yeah, even on my personal Facebook, I'll probably only actively interact with my own Facebook in terms of posting content uh, twice a year for family. So why is posting on Facebook even still important? I would say the primary reason that Facebook is relevant is because you often have a different audience on Instagram and on Facebook. For example, old people. <laughs> yeah. So um, usually your old, the older part of your audience, so your family, old choir directors, whatever, that's usually a good place to connect with that demographic. And let's be honest, those are the people that usually support us financially and with gigs more often than people our own age. 
that we perhaps might be engaging with on Instagram. So Facebook is still very important and having a professional page, once again, we can think of as an extension of our website. It's much easier to update your professional page with photos from your production, with, you know, creating Facebook events for a recital that you're giving, you know, doing anything like that. Is, is so much easier to update on Facebook versus logging on and updating your website. Maintaining a presence there is, is also very important in addition to, you know, things like Instagram and YouTube. My biggest thing with social media is if you're going to create an account on any social media platform, you have to remain somewhat active. So if you truly don't think that you're going to stay active on your professional Facebook page, it's probably better not to make one than to have one that's just somebody goes to look, like a casting director goes to look after seeing your resume and you haven't updated it in two years. It doesn't serve you at that point. So if you're going to make something, engage with it. So outside of obviously having a personal Facebook what are some of the benefits of actually maintaining like a professional Facebook page, like a separate page that is just about your career? Once again, we're boosting searchability, right? Sometimes you might be sending off materials or marketing materials to people that you don't necessarily want to be looking at your personal Facebook page. I tend to be a pretty private person, so I would much rather have somebody that I spoke to after a concert or a connection that I randomly made or somebody I gave a business card go ahead and go to my professional page for business than try to contact me through my personal page. That's just a personal preference, but I find it easier for me personally to keep personal life and like updates about my family or how I'm doing to be separate from more professional content. I know we kind of talked about, you know, how Instagram, we can kind of meld the two. With Facebook, they give us the option to really have those two things be separate if you want them to. So I think that just keeping it separate is easier. I like the distance between my personal Facebook where my family shares random photos of me sometimes versus like my professional Facebook. And then I guess, you know, you were just saying that how important it is that if you're going to maintain a Facebook page, that you be active. What kind of content like fits well on Facebook? Or is it mostly just reposting stuff from other social media, like putting your YouTube videos on there or putting your Instagram photos onto your Facebook page? Yeah, I definitely tend to think of Facebook as a great place for cross posting. So things that go on my other social media accounts will therefore go onto Facebook. But I will say that videos, content like that, videos of you singing are really great. Facebook ads are actually very powerful as well. So if you're trying to get something out there for like a recital or concert, Facebook ads are great. Facebook is great for things like crowdfunding because once again, a lot of your older audience that maybe has a little bit more money to give to certain things are on Facebook more than they are on like Instagram and YouTube. Trying to sell tickets, anything like that is is a good place for Facebook. But I would also say at a certain level, it is nice to sometimes create content that is specific to one social media platform. So for example, maybe you have one campaign going on Instagram where you post something once a week or something once a month, and then maybe on your Facebook you post videos every other week of you singing, and it's just different. That is also a really great strategy, so Facebook doesn't have to only be a place for cross-posting. You can also create content for Facebook. Uh, and once again, I want to say, you know, when we talk about campaigns and stuff like that, it's not so much about the supreme marketing plan. It's about making this as simple as possible for yourself. Cross-posting and campaigns and everything are meant to keep you from trying to reinvent the wheel every time you have to post something because there are just going to be weeks where you don't necessarily have news about your career to post. So those are the times where things like, you know, tips for Tuesday or whatever can be really useful to keep things going. Yeah, and if we're talking about... I know I keep using the word campaign, and basically what I mean by that is it's not like you have, like you said, some grand marketing scheme. A campaign can be as simple as, you know, scheduled content. And what I mean by that is maybe you share a video of you singing every other week, or maybe you show us like a new yoga pose that helps you with singing every other week. Something like that we can kind of label as campaigns. It's a series of content that we create that can be really effective because people get excited about tuning into things. So thinking about campaigns that way, not necessarily as this grand marketing scheme, but as something that people can look forward to content-wise, it can be very effective. So another platform that is obviously very popular is Twitter. 
We love Twitter. We get so many funny things and interesting things from Twitter. But Twitter can also kind of be a not very professional form of social media. So Jesse, do you have any tips on ways that we can use Twitter to serve us as classical musicians? Yeah. Well, I think the thing about Twitter is Twitter is the place where I think you have the most flexibility to post content that I wouldn't necessarily put under like the fully professional tag. I think you can be more silly and more out there on Twitter than you can anywhere else. And I see it a lot with uh, a lot of professional musicians who have a lot more fun on their Twitter. You see a lot of professional, actual professional business accounts be a little more goofy. You know, we've seen the fast food wars of (laughs) fast food restaurants roasting each other on Twitter. You can do more and be sillier because... A, the audience on Twitter is a lot younger, so they don't really care about the professionalism as much. So I would say if you wanted to have a fun place to post a fuller picture of yourself, I think Twitter is the place to do it because I think that's how content on Twitter is best suited. Here's something I will say. Twitter is not the place for your video content. Videos out of any type of post actually do the worst on Twitter. And if you are going to post videos on Twitter, make sure they're very short. So if you have a voice crack or something silly that you might want to point out, be like, I'm a classical singer and you might be wondering if I'm any good and then post a video of you messing something up. This would be the place for that because it's funny and short and silly. This is not the place to post your recital. And on that note, actually, the actual tier list of content for Twitter goes text, pictures, videos. That is how content works best. Now, your audience itself, because they are going to be people you know, may react differently. That applies to all social media. Read your audience. But I think the best thing you can do on Twitter is be a little sillier because you have such a short amount of time to catch people's attention. So use Twitter to post more jokes, more silly stuff, and to feed into some of those longer forms types of media like YouTube, like your Instagram but it's definitely mainly a text format. What are some good ways for us to engage with people on Twitter? Like if we're posting this content, so say we post that video of us, you know, voice cracking on Twitter, what are some of the ways that we kind of boost our following on that platform? Good ways to boost, we've got obviously there are hashtags, creating and following and interacting with hashtags can be a really great way to get people to see your content. It's a really great way to gain followers. And responding to other larger accounts' tweets can be another really great way to build up a following. And then obviously there's reposting. If you are going to repost, I would say like add some personal touch to it. Don't just blindly repost stuff. Like actually put your own caption on top of it or react or commentate on whatever it is you're reposting. But reposting is also another really great way to curate content because Twitter is not just necessarily about showing off what you want to say. It can also be a way to essentially you become a curator of content for other people. So if people like the social media content that you repost as well, that's another great way to gain some followers. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's actually a really good way of thinking about it as a content curator as well. I like that a lot. So how often should we think about posting on Twitter? Because I think Twitter has the ability to be a little bit more active per se than like Instagram or Facebook, right? Yes. The ideal is technically once or twice a day. I know for a lot of people that's a lot of posting to be doing. So I would say if you're just starting out on like getting into interacting with Twitter, I would aim for at least once a day and maybe post once a day and then retweet something else later in the day. Only you know where your audience is most active. I can't really give a time of day because it really does depend on when your audience is awake. (laughs) So if you've got a largely European audience, it's going to be a different time from those who are US based. Ideally twice a day at different times of day. So like once in the morning, once in the afternoon. Twitter users are technically speaking wherever they live, most active between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. I do feel like Twitter versus something like Instagram does a really good job of actually showing you tweets from the people you follow. That's my biggest qualm with Instagram. They only show you what you actively engage with, which is so annoying. I feel like Twitter, the people I follow, I almost always see the tweets that they post. Would you say that that's pretty correct? Yeah, I definitely also prefer the Twitter algorithm. I think it is... I miss when Instagram used to just list things in time order. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think Twitter does a great job of not only showing me 
the content of the people that I follow, but it also shows me the content that they interact with, which is also how I found a lot of other great things, which is why it's so important for you to interact with other people on Twitter and repost their stuff, because it'll also show what you like to the people who follow you. Yeah. And then probably the other biggest, you know, social media platform that we engage with as musicians is YouTube, right? Or something like Vimeo. Yeah. Platforms for us to put out our our videos that we send off to yaps and, and family and such. So do you have anything to say about the algorithm or some general tips about YouTube? So YouTube's, I think, a really complicated thing for musicians because the ideal way to interact with YouTube is not going to work for a lot of classical musicians because we are not necessarily creating content constantly for YouTube in the way that people who really thrive on the platform are. So I think the way classical musicians should be using YouTube is a bit different from what I would suggest for someone who's looking to make a career as a content creator. For example, there's a lot that's known and unknown about the YouTube algorithm. It's been a huge issue for people over the past year or two uh, you can see a lot of people who create content for YouTube who have been talking about how it's promoting poor content. It's definitely a big issue on that platform. But here's the thing about YouTube. It tends to promote content that is posted every single day, which doesn't really work for singers because we don't create content every single day. In fact, we don't make recordings more than a couple times a year. Yeah. So I think the most important thing that you can do for your YouTube is have your up-to-date recordings on your YouTube page because one of the things that I hear people ask the most is like do you have a YouTube page like do you have your music up somewhere and you really should for singers who are not creating any alternate content for people who are not making like how to teach music or like stuff about music school if you're not making outside content the best thing you can do is have your updated recordings on there and then if you can get recordings of you doing concertos or doing solos in performance, those are great clips to add into. I think another great thing, if you have the time for it, is to create a progression video. Stuff that shows improvement like that is really popular. So if you were looking to get more views on your YouTube page, if you were looking to transition into making content, a progression video of you through school might be a good addition if you're looking to go the extra mile. Yeah, I mean, I really am fascinated with YouTube in general, I feel like that's a platform that I've really started to dive into this past year. But I also feel like YouTube is kind of one of those things that sometimes is placed on the cringe list, so to speak, for a lot of people. I think we as creators sometimes have ideas for, oh, you know, I wish that I could maybe create this type of video for YouTube. But maybe one of the key reasons that people avoid YouTube is because the stigma around YouTube and YouTubers. So what would you say for people who are wanting to create content or wanting to create content that is still authentic and maybe not cringe? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think just don't get sucked into this idea that I have to do these things to be successful. I would say like some of the things that you can look around on YouTube and think like, oh, this is like a good idea. You should learn how to create good thumbnails, do basic graphics. Most of you through school will have access to some kind of video editing software. So learn how to do basic names appearing on a screen, stuff like that. But you don't have to be super hyper. You don't have to be, you know, off the wall crazy. You don't have to make slime. You don't have to do these things. Make content. Oh my God. No, but make, make content that you're going to be proud of. If you're going to make other types of content. There are general ideas that you should take on, like being a little more high energy. Uh, Michelle constantly reminds me for the podcast that I can't be, I can't be as low energy as sometimes I approach things. I'm a very NPR type person some days when we're recording, but there are things to take away from successful YouTubers and there are things you can get rid of. You don't, I wouldn't focus on being successful in the sense of for the sake of being successful, make things that you're proud of and take the good general ideas of stage presence and energy from the other YouTubers, but do not take the cringe. Just don't don't sell out for the hype, essentially. Yeah, honestly, I feel like YouTube is a platform that we as classical musicians as a whole should really be tapping into more. Obviously, there is a wealth of classical musicians who are already really active and cre- are creating great content on YouTube, but perhaps not as much as our counterparts who are doing popular music or other areas of of interest. So I think kind of having that mindset that it's okay to be a classical musician who makes content for YouTube, it's okay. It's, it's, I think it's cool and a good thing. 
And I'll say this. People are going to find you cringy. I'm sure <laughs> there are people who find our current content, whether it be on the podcast or the Instagram or Facebook or wherever, that find us and our stuff cringy. Uh, who cares? You're making something and you're putting it out in the world and it'll get better as you get better at it. Don't care what people think. Don't care if people think it's cringy. Only take in the opinions of the people whose judgment you actually care about. There's always going to be people on the internet who troll because they just don't like seeing people make things. So I would ultimately not worry about things looking cringy. Just make stuff you like. Make stuff you're happy with and put it out there. Well, yeah, because odds are if you like it and you're interested in it, there are many other people who will like it and will also be interested in it. There's stuff I wouldn't watch in a million years on YouTube, but I understand the appeal to other people. And I'm sure if people looked at my YouTube watch list, some people would be like, I don't get you at all. <laughs> the content that Michelle and I individually would create for YouTube would be very different from each other, but there is an audience for both. Yes. Yay, YouTube. We like YouTube. But I also really Yay, like YouTube. what you said about keeping things up to date on your YouTube. So for the vast majority of us who don't create content outside of just like performance videos, I think that's a good point just in social media in general. I think that it's a good idea to clean up your social media content or archive some older social media content from time to time. I think as we go through life, there are things that are kind of no longer relevant or, you know, as we grow, you know, you might not necessarily want if you're sending your YouTube videos to a casting director for them to also see a video of you singing in high school from like eight years ago, you know, like it might just not be helpful or accurate. Um, not to say that old performances always need to be archived, but I think that you can use your discretion to just kind of look at your content on all social media platforms and ask yourself, is this an accurate representation of who I am today? Or, you know, if it's not, does it show a journey? And then just kind of take it from there. But I also don't think that there's anything wrong with archiving things and keeping a polished look. No, I would say if you're not super act on YouTube, if you're mainly using it to post performance videos and give people access to videos of your performances, twice a year you should be going through and just making sure that everything on there is something you want. I think that's enough. And I think really you should focus on only having your most recent recordings on there because obviously we re-record Aria's pretty frequently. So make sure that all of your stuff is up to date because you really don't want people stumbling on old things. And here's actually another thing that really bothers me. Write good captions for your YouTube videos. The descriptions also lead people to your videos. So make sure that your descriptions are full and that you're using keywords about the thing that you're performing because that will help people. Make sure your descriptions have links to your other social media. That's a huge way of getting cross-posting. There is a hashtag a thing that you do when you post videos, make sure you're filling that out. Make sure your titles are long and descriptive. It will help people find you. I see a lot of people doing really low effort on those kinds of things because, like I said, it's not for most of us our main form of social media. It's not our main way of reaching people, but it's really important that you fill those out because not only does it help people find you, but it looks better and it looks more professional when you fill those out more completely. Yes, I love this idea of cross-linking and cross-posting. This only helps you. So on each social media platform you decide you want to have, you should have links to the others and always be linking to your professional website. We really should think of us, our social media as a landing point to get people to view the content that we have on our website. Having links on every platform to the other platforms, you know, you never know when somebody's going to stumble upon your Instagram but would really rather follow you on YouTube or really rather just follow your professional page on Facebook. So you want to give them that option because, you know, attention span is really short while we're scrolling. So you want it to be easy right there. They can follow you. Boom. Done. Absolutely. I mean, if you go through Opera Offstage's stuff, our Instagram has the link tree. All of our YouTube videos have the same links at the bottom that all of our podcast descriptions have, which will take you to our website, our Instagram, our it will take you to all of our socials. And that's so important. And like I said, all it takes is typing it up once and then you just copy paste it. That's what I do. Every time I upload our stuff, I'm just basically copy pasting our, our links from our old stuff onto here. And then I update as I go if we've got a fundraiser or something going on. But that's so, so important. And like we've said, you don't have to be doing individual posts on all these things. You can post 
check out my new recordings on your Instagram to take people to YouTube and you can post the video also to Facebook. And then by making one post, you've actually covered three different forms of media. And maybe you post outtakes from your video on Twitter to show people the silly side of it. And then you've got all this content from a singular source. So don't stress about like posting individual content to all of these things. Cross-posting is how you will survive. Absolutely. And I think ultimately you might be feeling a little overwhelmed. You might be thinking, Michelle, Jesse, this is all new to me. How the heck am I supposed to be keeping up with posting on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and keeping my website up to date? Take a deep breath. You don't have to post all the time, but something that will really help you is creating a schedule. So maybe set certain goals for yourself, help you and your audience. So maybe, you know, you post to YouTube once a month. Maybe you post to Instagram once a week. Facebook every other week. Who knows? Or maybe you're more active than that. It's up to you. Michelle and I, we usually have a meeting and we plan out two weeks of social media and posting for the podcast. And so I think usually going like two weeks at a time is a good way of looking at everything because it kind of helps you get a pretty full picture instead of trying to go day by day. But yeah, creating a calendar. And there is also a, a plethora of apps that'll help you plan out and post and cross post things that you can go through. Absolutely. And, and you know, keeping a, an active social media presence is obviously very helpful when we have busy seasons in our life. But they're also really good projects to work on when maybe you have a season or a summer where you don't have a lot lined out or lined up. You can create content for social media of you performing, of doing different campaigns, so to speak. So social media and content for social media can actually be a really good project when you have a more empty season. We've talked a lot about um, making social media and how to make it authentic to you. And I think that's the most important thing you can do is make your social media true to yourself. You're allowed to be silly. You're allowed to be super professional. You're allowed to be anything you want on your social media. Don't sweat too much about like how professional is this? Because I think the thing that will reach out and connect to people is you being yourself. We are most drawn in by those people who share themselves honestly, the good and the bad on social media. The other thing that you can do that's really important is to authentically interact with other people's social media, to cheer them on when they are posting their things, to reach out to your friends who are talking about their seasons, and not for the sake of just getting more people to see your stuff, but because cheering each other on on social media as we're all fighting this uphill climb in our careers is really important. It's important to to connect with people and because we are musicians and we are frequently very distant from other people, social media is one of the main ways we can keep cheering on our friends, even though we no longer live in the same places. We're no longer working in the same opera houses. There are many, many ways to use and interact with social media in a way that is not destructive or competitive, and it is good for your industry and good for your career. And I think taking the information we've given you and using it as you wish... <laughs> To create a space online where classical music can thrive and does connect more with people is important not just for your personal career but for the larger future of classical music because we are woefully behind, I think, some other industries in creating online spaces for these communities. Well said. <laughs> Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed by social media, just remember that it's not just good for you, it's also good for classical music and that... It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun stuff that connects you and your friends at its heart. So if you're ever feeling like a sellout or like you're, you've got nothing to say or anything, just go back to the basis of, I want to share something fun with my friends and family and start from there. Well said. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Opera Offstage. I hope you leave this episode feeling empowered with a couple tips to boost or create your social media presence. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Opera Offstage, or visit our website at opera-offstage.com. So check us out, send us a DM about your favorite tips, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.